Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. You always do such a good job with the intro. <laughs> it's because it's the same thing every time. <laughs> well, it, it's also very personable when you do it. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we are glad you're listening, and this is episode number 48. So we have gone through a series of podcasts, episodes about Abraham, and correlating that with Jesus, and just... Last episode, we also talked a little bit about our story because we have connection points with Abraham and we're going to continue that on this podcast. I would preface it for you, but I actually don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Tim had something up his sleeve. (laughs) So I actually not exactly sure what we're talking about. So what are we talking about, Tim? All right. So (laughs) something we mentioned in the last episode is that God has kind of pointed us to Abraham and Sarah and their story at times in our journey here to say, hey, it's kind of like Abraham. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's been encouraging, and sometimes that's been frustrating. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> we're like, we don't want it to be like Abraham. Why can't it be like David? You know, or why can't it be like Samson? You yeah, know, we don't like these parts about Abraham's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, uh, can we switch per- characters? Not when it gets personal. <laughs> right. So I kind of wanted to share a personal moment where I had gotten discouraged in our journey here, And the Lord pointed me to, he actually had me reading through the story of Abraham over and over again. And I can't remember how many times I had read through it at this point, but it's kind of amazing when you read through a story and the Lord is trying to give you revelation out of that story, you will see new and different things each time. And so the Lord really kind of opened some things up to me with Abraham's story with Melchizedek. And so we want to kind of read through that passage, and I'll share some ways that the Lord spoke to me and encouraged me and how I saw myself in Abraham and some of his frustrations that he probably had and how the Lord kind of spoke to me through the story. And hopefully that'll uh, show ways in which God may draw us into a story of a particular character in the Bible. And not everything about that character will line up with our story, but the Lord may want to say, hey, the same way things were developing and evolving with this character, there's some overlap there with your life. Ultimately, this ends up, you know, lining up with the story of Jesus as well. And because God asked Jesus to do some things that were difficult, that challenged Jesus' faith. And Jesus chose to trust God and keep moving through the process. So, Mm, Yeah, that's good. So you said the part about Melchizedek. And I don't think that we actually talked about that on a podcast. It's true. Yeah, we haven't actually. uh, Part of his story. Yeah. And it's partly because we didn't have a, or I should say that we didn't want to get into the New Testament reference, which is Hebrews. (laughs) (laughs) A really complicated book and a really complicated topic about the priesthood and Melchizedek. Well, and there's lots of things you could pull out. That's right. So it's kind of, you have to Pick and choose. Yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna be coming out of Genesis fourteen. So what's been happening though to get us to this point? Yeah, the you background. Set it up. 
So basically, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to leave his family and go into a different country. And then a famine pops up, and then they go into Egypt, and Abraham lies about Sarah being his wife. And then God kind of rescues him from that situation. Abraham and Sarah and Lot, his nephew, come back out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And apparently, Abraham and Lot have picked up a lot of cattle and herd uh, lambs, like however you want to talk about it. They, they have a lot of animals. Are we talking about like just stray? <laughs> They're just picking up strays. No. <laughs> no, not strays. I uh, just imagine them walking along, Bill. Oh, there's another. <laughs> go go get that one. Oh, it's so cute. We got to keep it. <laughs> no, they, I'm assuming that they either bought them or they were given to them by the king of Egypt. And so they both have grown their sort of like micro farming business that they're running, and eventually they they come into conflict because the land that they're both trying to do their micro-farming operations on can't support their operations together, and Abraham's herdsmen start fighting with Lot's herdsmen, and then finally Abraham and Lot have a conversation. They're like, look, we don't need to be having conflicts with each other because we're surrounded by people who, if they see us fighting with each other, They'll take advantage of us and exploit our division between each other. So Abraham says, hey, why don't you pick the land that you want, and then I'll choose the land that you don't want, and we'll both go our separate ways, and you raise your micro farm, I'll do my micro farm. And so Lot chooses to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which is, you know, by a fertile land, and then Abraham chooses the less fertile land to stay in. Well, apparently uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were actually being ruled by distant kings from another land, and those kings came to collect taxes. But Sodom and Gomorrah kind of got rebellious and said, we're not going to give you your taxes. And they did that for several years, and finally those kings said, okay, enough is enough. We're going to go collect our taxes, and we're going to do it forcefully. So they come down from the north to invade Sodom and Gomorrah. Keep in mind that Lot is living in Sodom. And so when these kings come to raid Sodom, they plunder the city, they take all the goods, and they actually take Lot captive with them. And once they take Lot captive along with his family, along with a bunch of other people, they then start moving up north to return back to their northern territory. Well, somebody escaped from Sodom and let Abraham know, hey, these kings from the north came and took your nephew Lot captive, and they've hence gone north into this territory. And so that activates Abraham, and he's like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so Abraham gets about 318 people, which shows you how large his micro-farming operation was. 318 people from his clan and says, I'm going to go get my nephew and I'm going to rescue him from these kings. And so Abraham launches this expedition, and he's successful. He captures, he finds Lot, he looks at the camp of the kings, and he rescues Lot and defeats those kings. He's bringing Lot back with him, along with Lot's family, and along with basically everything that those kings stole from Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it's, it's this amazing victory that Abraham has over these kings. 
And as he's returning, he has this really strange, out of nowhere, what appears to be completely random encounter with Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, which is, of course, the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We're going to pick up in Genesis 14 about his encounter with Melchizedek, and we're just going to read through, and I'll I'll make some comments uh, as we go. Okay. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. That one verse right there, this is actually the verse that, you know, kind of exploded, I guess, for me, because some things that kind of came up while I was reading this was, okay, here's a guy who is a priest of God Most High. Okay, now if I'm Abraham, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you called me out of my country, told me to leave my my extended family, get out of my country, and you want me to go to this land. And the assumption is that, hey, you're, you know, you're on a mission and you're the only one there that I have access to and there's this unique thing that you're supposed to do. But then I get there and I find out there's a dude who's already here who is a priest, not, not just a random dude like me, but a priest of God Most High. And so if I'm Abraham, I'm going to be thinking, wait, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, and God, why did you call me here if you've already got somebody here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm kind of stepping into Abraham's shoes here and thinking, okay, what's going on in Abraham's mind as he's coming back and he's greeted by Melchizedek, this priest of God Most High? It also says that he brung out bread and wine, which is an indication that Melchizedek is not just some fly-by-night king. Right, He has established land. In Salem, it means that he's not only been there long enough to raise wheat, he's also been there long enough to raise a vineyard. And if you know anything about raising vineyards, it takes multiple years to get a vineyard up to the point where it gets grapes and you can make wine from it. So this person's been established in the land of Canaan for a while now. And he brings out bread, he brings out wine. It also means he probably has a pretty significant military operation so that he doesn't get invaded, so that his wheat fields and his vineyards have not been destroyed by neighboring enemy inhabitants of the land. So he's well-respected in the land, and he's a priest of the Most High God. This is going to be important to kind of share, and I just want to draw, draw attention to those things. Okay. You want me to keep reading? Yeah, let's keep reading. Okay, verse 19. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay. So what's really cool about this is that Abraham's returning from a victory And someone who's already established in the land, who's been there a long time, who is walking with God, comes out and blesses him and speaks words of blessing over him. That's a pretty phenomenal thing. In other words, this guy was so close to the Lord, he didn't feel threatened by Abraham. He didn't feel like Abraham would potentially launch a battle against him. He was a vessel of God to bless Abraham. And you remember one of the promises that God made to Abraham is, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Mm -hmm. 
And so apparently Melchizedek knew about God's arrangement with Abraham, and he spoke words of blessing over him. So let's, let's keep reading. Verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Okay, so, you know, this is just a little bit not a side note, uh, but... You know, basically Sodom meets up with Abraham and he's like, hey, good job. Um, You know, why don't you take everything that they stole from us and you just give us the people back? And Abraham's, well, no, I'm going to give you everything that actually belongs to you because my source is actually God himself. Right. And so um, keep in mind that Abraham is encountering and interacting with two people who are well-established in the land, okay? And he also just got done fighting a battle for someone who was already established in the land, the king of Sodom, and he got Sodom's people and possessions back for him. The reason why this story was significant to me is that I had reached a point where I uh, drifted into sort of a, a pity party, if, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, I was complaining to God that it doesn't seem like you're doing what you said you were going to do. In other words, I was having issues with God's timing and that God had spoken uh, certain things to us, that he's going to do certain things, and he keeps speaking those things to us, very much in the same way that God kept speaking to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have multiple descendants, and yeah. You're going to be a father of many nations. He keeps saying those things, and you're right. It's the same way with us. God has kept saying things over and over. Yes. it's So So there's some parallel there. There's some overlap. And I had kind of gotten to a point where I was like, hey, God, like, what's up? You know, are you going to do this or not? And he had me revisit this story with Abraham and Melchizedek. And one of the points of tension or frustration that I had had that kind of led me into this pity party was I'd kind of encountered some church leaders here in Nashville who were doing some of the very things that I felt like God had called me to do. So I would meet, you know, meet one church leader who was doing this specific thing. I would meet a different church leader who was doing this other specific thing. And both of those specific things were things that I felt like God had spoken and said, Hey, I want you to do these things. You know, so I'm, I'm reading the story and I'm thinking, man, God, you've already got people here who are doing those things. I already met somebody who's doing this one thing and I met somebody else who's doing this other thing. And it kind of made me say, God, what do you got me here for? Like you already got people that are doing those things. And if you notice in Genesis 15, which is where the next, you just read the last verse of verse of chapter 14. The very next chapter is where Abraham starts having these doubts, is where he says, 
you know, hey, God, why is the only person that's an heir in my house one of my servants? And he just got done interacting with two people who are well-established in the land. They have people, you know, and it's almost like Abraham's at this point where he's surrounded by people who are doing things that he wants to do, who are enjoying things that he wants to enjoy, and yet the Lord has not provided those things for him yet. I'm being a little bit transparent here. You know, a lot of church leaders, when they talk about their stories of doing ministry, a lot of times it's stories about victory and success, and they don't really talk about the backstory. <laughs> they don't talk about the struggle. Yeah. And so one of the struggles I've had on this Abrahamic journey has been um, trusting that the Lord has led us here to Nashville to do a very specific work even though I've met different people who are doing sort of different pieces of the puzzle, they're not doing everything the Lord has called us to do, but they're doing certain aspects of it. And the Lord, you know, has told me over and over again that it's like Abraham. It's like that part of his journey. And the Lord was kind of speaking to me through this story and saying, you know, you are going to meet people who are doing certain things that I've called them to do. And yes, they're doing these things in this way. And they're at this stage in their journey. And that's okay. Because that's what I've called them to do. The goal that the Lord has with each one of us is that he does have a specific calling and a specific assignment for all of us to live into at certain stages of our life. And part of, you know, the journey of spiritual formation and development and maturity is for us to be able to anchor ourselves in that calling and in that assignment and to walk in faith and to say, okay, you know, the Lord has spoken these things. The Lord has called us here. It may not be where I want it to be. It may not be happening the way I want it to happen. But I have to remain true and faithful to the calling that God has placed. And I have to trust the words that he's spoken. And of course, the beautiful thing about Abraham's story is that God does come through and God does provide. So that's one of the things I felt like the Lord wanted me to share about how the story of Abraham has kind of supported and sustained specifically me. But, you know, we, we're both in this together, you know, me and you, Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of access the story of Abraham in different ways because we both have different struggles mm-hmm. in, you know, walking in the footsteps of Abraham. That's, that's kind of what I wanted to share today. Yeah, th- thanks for sharing, Tim. It, it is really hard to share. The more not so happy and <laughs> 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 the harder things sometimes. It's definitely harder to share. So thanks for being vulnerable and being willing to share that part. And it has been slow and long journey for us mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot of ways and a lot of uh, waiting and trusting and um, not seeing things. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a real part of how uh, our story correlates with Abraham. Yeah. I think I think one thing, like I guess to, to end this up here, I guess on a maybe a, a practical thing that I've learned or maybe the Lord has developed in me throughout this journey okay. is 
I, b- before we moved to Nashville, if I were to characterize my approach to ministry is that I was kind of consumed with developing and delivering ministry to other people. I got great joy out of that. I, I, and can you just... Do you yeah, need so, to explain that a little bit? So, so so maybe one thing would be like working for God, but not necessarily working with God. Mm, okay. That I would read a lot of books. I would be obsessed with being productive and competitive and successful. And those things are necessary and good, but not at the expense of actually participating in the life of God. And, you know, in some ways I was kind of like a broker or like I was, uh, you know, kind of like a salesman. Like I was at the intersection of other people and encountering God and pointing people to God. But I didn't necessarily have a relationship with God that really funded and fueled all of that. And in some ways it was kind of like an idol. And so one of the things that the Lord has really drawn me into in the journey here in Nashville is... A relationship with him where I'm, I'm relating with him and responding to him and that he is at the center of why I'm doing what I'm doing as opposed to, you know, me sort of like being involved in the business of ministry. It's more like, no, I'm, my primary task is to participate in God and for the ministry to kind of flow out of that participation and to find joy and meaning just in relationship with God, which I think is kind of what Abraham had to go through and which is why he's called the friend of God, is that, okay, he's not producing anything. He doesn't have any kids. He can't claim any land as his own. And yet God is still enjoying his relationship with Abraham. In in modern standards, Abraham is very unproductive. (laughs) Yes. Right. In modern church standards. Yeah. And so. Not going so well. Definitely not the poster child. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so I've I've, kind of resonated with that. But it's something I feel like the Lord had to, he had to develop those things in me in a certain way. And it could be that they could not be developed in any other way. One of the things the Lord has spoken to me before is that I will not use you. I will not just exploit your gifts and talents to uh, advance my agenda in the kingdom without actually being concerned about you and without developing our relationship, that he actually wants to do these, th- these things with us. Uh, he doesn't want to just do things through us. Mm. Yeah, that's really good, Tim. And I think most people in ministry is definitely a good word. And for all of us, that is God is wanting relationship with us, not to use us. And it's not that we can't be used by God or that we can't be used to further his kingdom, but that's not what it's about. Uh, I actually have a, a quote I just read like last night. Okay. Hey. It's um, in Pete Scazzaro's book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's basically a question to ask, a question to ponder. And he said, to what degree does my being with Jesus sustain my doing for Jesus in this work? That's good. So I think that's something that is, is should always be a question. Are we being sustained by being driven and trying to do all these good things for God? Or are we 
being sustained by our life with Jesus and being with him. So I think that's a good place to end it up if we are ready. You ready? Yep. Okay. So we're going to close out the podcast here. And thank you again for listening. And thanks, Tim, for again for sharing. We hope you enjoyed. If you want to keep listening, please go and subscribe on your platform of choice. We uh, appreciate you and we will catch you next time.